For all you first-time listeners, you've just stumbled upon a treasure trove of witness testimony. This is a call-in show about monsters and, more importantly, those that see them. And speaking of treasure troves, the calls have been flooding in. For every ten that I process, I swear fifteen more come in. And I'm not complaining by any means. This is a problem that I wanted to have. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is that with all these calls, of which I bet there are no less than seven or eight hundred, but with all these calls, there's simply not enough time for me to get through each and every one of them. So instead of keeping these stories hidden away like some sort of eccentric collector, of which I most certainly am, but not of these tales, these stories... No, I want to share them. I want to share them with you. So to get to the point of all this, from now on, all Patreon episodes, episodes that we call Monsters Among Us Beyond, will feature original calls. So in plain English, the Patreon episodes that you get for $4 a month will be the same as these regular free episodes, full of stories. In addition, over at Patreon, I can get a little darker and play some of these calls that I've been holding back for adult content or excessive language. In other words, your Patreon feed just got a whole lot better. So if you want to get bonus content, the first episode of which will release this weekend, head on over to patreon.com forward slash monstersamonguspodcast.com then click on the $4 monthly pledge. And if that wasn't reason enough, each and every Patreon supporter goes a long way to help keep this show ad-free. So a big thank you to those that are already supporting. Now by no means does that mean I want the calls to stop. Please, keep those things coming in. This ride is only going to get better. Alright, I've pretty much covered all that, so let's stop messing around. Our inaugural call for the evening comes to us from the state of New York. This is Melinda's call. 
Hey, Derek. My name's Melinda, and you've made it very clear that you're interested in having more big cat stories. So I'm going to lay one on you. Just to locate you as to where we were, I grew up in Chautauqua County, which is in New York State, about um, 20 miles from the Pennsylvania border. So we're talking near Jamestown, very close to Warren, Pennsylvania. And I think you've had some other um, big cat stories coming from that part of the country. So this is about 1987. I was 15 or 16. It was summer. It was a clear, you know, no no special weather incidents happening, very clear. Um, we were just hanging out. It was um, probably 11 p.m., midnight. We were just outside in front of a friend's house, just, you know, like you do, small town. Um, we weren't drinking. There was nothing, nothing but uh, Kool-Aid running through our veins, probably. So um, at some point, something made us all look up, and I think we heard something. I'm not sure what it was, but we all looked up to the direction of an intersection um, about half a block up. This was a main, kind of a more of a main thoroughfare than the street that we were um, goofing around on. It was very well lit compared to the street we were on. And uh, what, what it was was I think we must have heard something running up the street because um, as it came through the intersection, it was this um, very dark and large, what we thought was some kind of cat. Um, it was very lean. It was probably just a bit above um, knee height, just sprinting full speed down the middle of the street. We only saw it passing through the intersection, but we heard it a little bit after it got through. There were houses on either side at the corner. So I've talked to my friends who uh, were there that night um, in the years since, and we've, we all remember it. We all bring it up from time to time. It was, you know, quite mysterious. And like we, of course, we grew up in sort of the rural rust belt is how I describe it so we all were familiar with woodland creatures of the area our, our families hunted and we spent time in the woods so we know what a bobcat looks like we know what other animals that are native to that region are so this wasn't that the only other thing that I can think is maybe it's a greyhound maybe it was a greyhound but it was a pretty small town and nobody that we knew had a greyhound at the time we would have definitely known that um i don't know maybe you will have to do a special episode just on um, people's cat stories all right love the podcast listen to the episodes over and over it puts me to sleep thank you so much for what you do bye thank you melinda now, this story reminds me a lot of my ABC experience. It was roughly the same date, the late 80s, not too far apart, New York and eastern Ohio. And we, too, were just a group of scared kids. It almost makes me nostalgic. Now, believe it or not, ABCs, or alien big cats, have been in the news a bit lately, especially in the country. Of France. 
The large feline wandered the rooftops for a couple of hours before being captured by firefighters, while local residents were understandably stunned by the whole situation. I called my daughter and told her to stay away, there's a panther. She said, Mom, you're joking. I said, no, it's not a joke. You don't expect to fall face to face with an animal like that. It's definitely a shock. The domesticated black panther is about five or six months old and the size of a small Labrador dog. Its owner is still on the run. Such an animal can cost up to 30,000 euros. The traffic of wild animals is a lucrative and highly illegal business, one that has grown strong in France in recent years. The Animal Welfare Foundation, 30 Millions d'Amis, is frequently called to help authorities. You can buy wild animals virtually anywhere in France. In the span of four months, we picked up four lion cubs, one baby tiger and now a black panther. It's all the time. Owning a wild animal in France requires an official authorization. Owners who decide to do without risk up to six months in jail and a 9,000 euros fine. As for the animals, the lucky ones end up in a shelter like this one, where the now famous panther should arrive in a few days. Here she'll be treated and cared for like this young female lion cub, mistreated and abandoned by its owner just a few months ago. That clip, which clearly showed a black panther running across rooftops, comes courtesy of France 24 News. Now, the wild animal licensing discussion in that video reminds me of the Zanesville Massacre. Check out the very first episode of the show, which at that time was called Here There Be Monsters. You can find my complete coverage on that massacre near my hometown on that episode. And for those that missed the announcement and have been wondering, another show with a similar title asked me to change mine. At first, I was very reluctant, but I've grown very attached to the new name. Thank you again, Melinda, for taking the time to share your call. So, the next call of the evening is a nice, creepy one from my state of California. The following is Eric's call. Hi, my name is Eric, and um, I wanted to share my story. This happened in 2006 in Oxnard, California on Thanksgiving. I was visiting for the holidays, um, and I had already had um, Thanksgiving dinner with my family, so um, I, I decided to um, hang out with two of my high school friends that were still living in Oxnard. I had already moved out to the LA area then. And it was around eight o'clock at night. It was already dark and I had already picked one up. And then I, we uh, went to get my other friend. And we stopped in front of his house and I was kind of like half, we were parked kind of like halfway in the driveway and also on the sidewalk as, as well. My friend was coming down the driveway and he was looking to like my left hand side, but like me and my other friend were talking, so we weren't really even paying attention. He gets inside the car, he opens the door and he immediately says, um, you guys, who's that man? Um, we all look to my left and coming down the sidewalk is this figure. It had a uh, sorry, I'm just nervous. Um, 
it had a short brim fedora hat on. It had um, a long black trench coat with a high collar covering like half its face. It had black gloves on. It didn't have feet, it was floating. Where there should have been a break between the coat and the, the, black, the black gloves, it, there was like a white mistiness, like gray. And where there should have been a face, it was the same thing. It almost looked like a fog, like there was no face. It, was, it, it looked like, 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 like a mist. Um, its posture was very, the only way I can say it, like just very erect. And it was coming down um, my way at a decent speed because I could see the imprint of its chest. I immediately yelled at my friend and I said, you know, get inside the car. And I pulled out towards the way it was coming. So my car now was facing um, one way and it was coming down the other way. I slow down as it's going and I remember like it was like large trees on the sidewalk is like just typical suburban neighborhood but we could still kind of see it and I remember my friends were completely silent in shock and I kept I was the only one speaking and I kept telling them I kept asking them you guys what is it what is it I didn't even say I didn't. I, I. I just knew I couldn't refer to it as a human, because I knew it wasn't, because no human being floats, and um, and we just left. Uh, we went back to my other friend's house. Everybody was rattled. My friends, they had a strong Catholic background, so I. It really shook them up. And um, it almost caused divisions among us as friends because they refused to speak about it. They just didn't. And I was really curious about it. So this is back in 2006. So I started looking into it and come to find out, I guess it's been referred to as a hat man. But yeah, uh, I, I saw that that's the only story I have. That's, that's the only thing that I've ever seen that I would describe. Uh, as supernatural and um, that's definitely enough for me. I don't ever want to see anything like that again. Thank you, Eric. For some reason, visions of John Carpenter's The Fog came to mind. Maybe it's because I know Oxnard is on the coast and I know it can get quite foggy up there and a figure made of mist. I don't know, I just kind of put it all together. No, I certainly can't claim to have seen one of these alleged hat men, or even a shadow person for that matter. But I know plenty of legends, and heard plenty of first-hand encounters. Enough to know that people seem to be seeing something. Whatever that something is. Then again, perhaps it's just the city of Oxnard. I've been hearing a lot lately of an actively haunted bar in that area. And I already discussed how creepy it could be with the fog and everything. And wouldn't you know, even their Walmart is haunted. So perhaps a shadow entity walking down the street shouldn't be all that much of a surprise. Thanks again, Eric, for sharing your story. 
All right. You want to hear a UFO story? Or as they're calling them these days, a UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Well, you came to the right place. John has just such a story from the state of Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is John. I live in Pennsylvania, and my story occurred in my backyard when I was uh, going out to the trash can to make sure there wasn't a skunk around. And uh, really weird, I saw all these little flickering, flashing lights up in our big oak tree. Uh, At first, I thought maybe lightning bugs, but I I could see lightning bugs, you know, how they they hover close to the ground. you know, it, it didn't look like that. It was like there were all these little white lights, and they weren't yellow, and they weren't as big as a lightning bug. Um, really strange. I mean, you know, it, it was done raining before that. It probably had thunderstorms about three or four hours before. Um, and, and then the weirdest thing, I tried taking videos of this. You would think the lights come up uh, pretty visibly with uh, video, uh, but it was just pitch black didn't have anything just uh, kind of interesting sounds actually and uh, but then right after that the weirdest thing my uh, my phone after I took that video said no sim card so I had to take it to the Verizon store the next day to get it fixed up get it reset but uh, I don't know I mean just a strange coincidence or I don't know if that had anything to do with lightning several hours before or I don't know what the hell it was Anyway, uh, hopefully you can use this. uh, Enjoy the show. Keep it up. Nice job. Thanks. Thank you, John. I suppose in this situation, UAP is a much more fitting acronym than UFO. Of course, that does very little to answer the riddle that John encountered. I've heard of several different spook lights, ball lightning, glowing worms, and even quartz crystals discharging to create light. So what John describes doesn't sound like any of those, in my humble opinion. This is likely one of those cases where we rely on listeners to chime in. Perhaps they've seen something similar, or maybe they've even gotten to the bottom of that mystery. And to reach monsters among us, you simply have to call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab. There, you'll find a few more options. We're getting dangerously close to the deadline for calls about outdoors men and women that have seen something strange. Remember to mention outdoors early on in a call to help me find it more easily if you decide to call in. And while I'm at it, I might as well get this out of the way as well. I'm looking for experiences from the Anza Borrego area, including the Salton Sea, Borrego Springs, Warner Springs, that general area in Southern California. I'm looking for all paranormal experiences, but I'm especially interested in cryptid and UFO stories. So if you live in that area, or lived, or were even passing through, and experienced something strange, I need to hear from you. And it's the same deal with this one. Be sure to say Anza Borrego early in the call so I can do a search and find the call more easily. And speaking of deserts, our next call comes to us from my neighbor to the east, Arizona. 
The following is Luna's Call. Hi, this is Luna. I'm calling from Tucson, Arizona. I apologize for my voice. I'm a little sick. That's the time to leave a message. I've been lucky or unlucky enough to have a lot of experiences, so I'll just start chronologically. Um, as a kid, I was really lucky to live in a small part of town, and my house backed up to a wash, and I had multiple friends in the neighborhood. And at the time, um, it was pretty normal to let your kids from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. in the summer go hang out and run around in the wash and, you know, just be kids. So there's this uh, wash called Agua Caliente Wash, and there's a lot of tall grasses that end up growing once the water in the wash has dried up. Um, They're kind of dead and feathery looking. And we would go to a park by crossing through this grass. It wasn't unusual to see javelinas, sometimes bobcats, in this area. But we were kids, and we weren't really afraid of much, and it's nothing we'd seen before, or nothing we hadn't seen before. So when we heard things in the grass, we weren't too worried. And then this uh, one day, we heard some snortling noises, sniffing, grunting. We're like, oh, okay, it's just a javelina or a little herd of javelina. Nothing to be worried about. But as it got closer, we heard footsteps that sounded like a horse. It sounded like something was very heavy. And as it got closer, it sounded very large and loud. And we saw the grass part. um, And it was as though something as large as a cow, like as broad as a cow, were parting the grass, but we didn't see anything there. It was like it was invisible. So we took off running in the other direction, running and screaming, uh, as, you know, 10-year-olds will do, and we never talked about it since then. And that's my first story. Thank you, Luna. Of course, at least a dozen or so episodes ago, I spoke about the Mugion Monster, a Sasquatch-like cryptid said to roam the Tonto National Forest in the Copper State. But lo and behold, there's actually another large, hairy, and heavy legendary monster that could be at fault here. For more on that, here's a clip from Chronicles of the West by Arizona 4 TV. Today, people use animals like old hoss here to transport goods back into the wilderness. Were it not for a twist of fate back in the Old West, outfitters could be using camels. Because of the problem horses and mules had in traveling the Southwest deserts, as far back as 1836, Army Major George H. Crossman recommended the military experiment with the use of camels. In their natural desert environment, camels would move faster, carry more weight, and require less water and food than horses or mules. Eventually, the idea reached the desk of Secretary of War Jefferson Davis. He liked the idea because he was aware that Napoleon had successfully used camels. So on March 3, 1855, Jefferson Davis got Congress to approve $30,000 for checking out the possibility of using camels as pack animals. 
About 50 camels along with 10 handlers were imported into southern Texas. One of the officers involved in the camel unit was Lieutenant Colonel Robert E. Lee. Even though local citizens didn't like the camels because they smelled awful and horses were scared to death of them, Robert E. Lee was very impressed with their performance. In addition, one camel could do the work of two horses in less time. Two years after the approval of funding by Congress, a caravan of 25 camels headed from southern Texas to California. It arrived four months later with many of the soldiers crediting their survival to the camel's ability to carry extra water. The men in the field praised the experiment as a success. This is where a twist of fate enters the picture. During this period of time, the southern states began seceding from the Union. Both Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee left the Army to become a part of the Confederacy. Their replacements were not fans of the camels. And then along came the Civil War and the Army's attention was directed elsewhere. And what was called the Great Camel Experiment became a thing of the past. Some of the camels were later used to transport goods in the Los Angeles Harbor area but several of them got loose and started wandering around. You know, even today, people visiting the Southwest deserts report hearing eerie sounds and ghosts in the image of camels. I'm Dakota Livesay. That was pretty folksy. There's an additional part to this story, a story now known as the Red Ghost that they neglected to mention. It was years after the failed experiment that a woman was trampled and killed in her own garden. A mysterious creature with strange tracks and long red hair was at fault. Local ranchers tracked the beast down, and to their horror, they found the skeletal remains of a human soldier still trapped in the saddle. The animal's skin had grown over the leather. No one knows if that latter portion is true but all I can say is that it is highly entertaining. Thank you again, Luna, for sharing your experience. And our next caller of the evening hails from the Empire State. The following is Gabe's call from the state of New York. Hey, Derek, how you doing? My name's Gabe. I live in upstate New York. Not that far upstate. It's Westchester County. It's just past the city. We're about 40 minutes from New York City. I want to tell you an incident that happened to me and my brother back when we were kids. We were, I was actually probably like 16 years old. I, I came home from school or from work, and my brother had gone fishing, and he caught a, a largemouth bass. And I had a fish tank in my room that had water in it, but there was no fish in it. But he had taken the largemouth bass and put it in my fish tank. And I was, it was still alive. And I was like, well, that, that fish is so cool. I would love to catch a largemouth bass. And my brother was like telling me, hey, you know, let's go tomorrow. You know, let's get up early. We'll go out there at like 4 a.m. And we'll go fishing. Okay, so we got up like 4 a.m., dead dark outside, and um, 
we we drove up to the fishing spot. It was pretty desolate area. You know, this is in the suburbs, Ossining, New York. But anyway, we set up and we're fishing. You know, it's dead dark outside. It's super quiet. And we're just BSing and having fun and using lures and fishing, casting it out and reeling it in. But, and it's a small lake. But, uh, and like I said, it's pitch black. So we hear on the far side of the lake, we hear like somebody walking. But you know, at night it could be a deer and it'll sound like a person. You don't know what it is. But like I'd say about a hundred feet, feet away on the other side of the lake, we heard like a big splash, like something jumped in the water. So we were like, hmm, you know, that's weird. You know, what was that? You know, but we, we keep on going back to our fishing. Then a little while later, we hear something coming out of the water like much closer than when it was before there's still a good way off but not right on top of us but it was closer and we're like you hear that and you know me and my brother like hello hello is anybody there and i mean then you heard whatever this thing was like coming through the bushes and clearly coming towards us like it was the weirdest thing and we started getting panicky because, I mean, it got quiet for a little while when we called out to it. But then when we heard it again, it was, like, ridiculously close. Like, we couldn't see it. But it was, like, in the bushes, not far at all from where we were. And, I mean, we just grabbed our stuff and just booked out of there. And got back to the car and just jetted out of there. And we never found out what it was. But... <laughs> the fear was real. I don't know if it was somebody playing a joke on us or what, but like I said, that was very scary. But anyway, that's my story. I know it's not much, but uh, that is what exactly what happened. We never saw anything, but it was super terrifying when it happened. Uh, thank you for your show. You know, I usually listen to your show when I'm walking my dogs at night. And some of the stories you hear really make me walk my dogs a lot faster. But anyway, I love your show and thank you for doing it. And have a good night. Thank you, Gabe. Now, I grew up with my dad telling me stories like this. Adventures he'd had growing up. Most of his aren't paranormal in nature, but somehow still seem mysterious. Either there's no real ending or some of the details are fuzzy. But, like Gabe's story, they're a lot of fun to listen to. Thank you again, Gabe, for taking the time to share. Alright, a show of hands. Who's interested in another UFO call? Well, how about this one from Sean in the state of Florida? Hi, Derek. This is Sean from Indian Atlantic, Florida. In January of 2012, I was driving south on State Road A1A in Beachside. As I was driving down the road, a red light in the sky caught my eye. It was about 8 o'clock. I followed this light down the road, and I saw it dip underneath a, an airplane. Uh, that was coming in, and it came pretty close to the airplane, which alarmed me. I thought if anybody was flying a drone that they would probably get in trouble, and it didn't really look like a drone because 
it was about a 30 foot diameter from what I could see red light and it became stationary and dimmed down over this shopping plaza right along the road so I pulled off the road real quick and got out of my truck and at the time I didn't have my phone with me unfortunately and I walked up to as, as close as I could get to it and it was above the roof of the plaza about 50 feet above the roof and it was quite large like I said it was about 30 foot and it had this plasma sort of reddish orange effect to it but it was really dim you could barely see it and I look to my right and I see this couple and they have their phones out and they're trying to video it so I asked them if they can see what I'm seeing just to make sure that I'm not going crazy I'm not seeing things so and by the way I was completely sober and they had informed me that they could not get it on their phones, that it was too dim. But they had followed it from about three miles away. And they had seen them before over the ocean, which is right across the street, um, on New Year's Eve. So they were, they were really curious about this thing. So we sat there and watched it for maybe two to three minutes. And then it started to float over our heads. And when it got over our heads, the lighting from the parking lot illuminated the back of this thing and it looked like basically a lens and on the back of it it looked like what a coil would look like and and a magneto like a a round donut shape with with big tubes um, going from the side into the middle like a donut shape didn't make any sound the wind was blowing out of the northeast about 20 miles an hour 15 to 20 miles an hour did not really moved too fast at all. It was pretty slow. And then about that time, it started to drift off to the southwest. And slowly but surely, this thing drifted off to the southwest and disappeared. So that kind of freaked me out. I didn't know what to think. And then for the next month, for like once a week, I would see these things in the sky. And then they would just turn into stars. It was almost like they were in front of a star as a red light, and then it would just turn clear or turn white like a star. <clears throat> my daughter saw them. My wife saw them. There was one right by, right by our house. When I, lived, I don't live too far from where I saw this at, maybe like five miles. So this started just happening all the time, and then it just stopped. So I became very curious of this whole thing, and, and after looking at um, a lot of YouTube videos of, red spheres on there's a lot out there in the world and actually called Peter Davenport and spoke to him on the National UFO Reporting Center and he told me that that is the most common UFO seen in America Um, so I just thought I'd tell you my story thank you for your time bye thanks Sean you might have seen phenomenon that is often reported but to me Your sighting is anything but common. You managed to do something most other UFO witnesses do not get to do. You were able to see the craft as a light and then later got to see it from a separate light source. In this case, the parking lot lights. Which gives you an extremely rare view of this phenomenon. Now the fact that it seemed to float and not make any noise makes me wonder a bit if it might have been a passenger balloon of some sort although I doubt it's routine for any dirigible pilot to fly at night. Plus, I can't recall ever seeing a hot air balloon in a donut shape. 
Although I certainly don't know that it's impossible. So Sean, I don't know what you and your family saw, but you did the right thing by reporting it. Now it's time for us to sit back and wait for the clues to come in. Thanks again for sharing. Now before I play these last few calls, I want to remind everyone to follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And we have an amazing group on Facebook as well. So be sure to search for that on Facebook. And I finally ordered coffee mugs. They're set to arrive later this week, so visit the shop later this weekend, and they should be up. And lastly, I've also reordered the Brett Manning design in blue. So if you've been wanting one of those, and I've been out of your size, now's the time to grab one. Alright, so this last call of the evening I found a bit chilling. So with that in mind, the following story from Stephen comes to us from the state of Alabama. Hey Derek, my name is Stephen. I'm a uh, hospice chaplain slash ordained minister from Alabama. Um, I had a story to share with you. Um, I had a patient one time who uh, had a very sharp mind up until the day that she died, but she shared a story with me of an encounter that happened in the grassy community, which is in Lexington, Alabama. And this happened probably around... Uh, the mid-50s, and uh, this lady grew up on a farm, and so she was familiar with, with all the animals and, and even the wildlife in, in the local area there, but she said when her when her daughter was, was an infant that she was out back and was pulling in some, uh, some clothing that was on the clothesline left to dry, and when she went out, she got a terrible feeling and uh, smelled something horrible. She said that she had not smelled it uh, before in her life and had not smelled it since. So she was looking over behind a wood pile, a firewood that was stacked up, and she said that this um, this creature come walking around the from around the wood pile and was looking straight at her and just uh, slowly approached her. And she said that she was terribly afraid of it, and um, she didn't break eye contact with it and couldn't run away because she was frozen in fear. But she said that she had never seen anything like it before and that it terrified her greatly. But she said that it slowly approached her and, and got close enough for her to reach out and touch. And her description of the creature said that it come up to above her waist and that it had long, white, scraggly hair that touched the ground. She couldn't see its body or its legs because it was obstructed by all the hair that was hanging down. But she said that its face is, is what scared her, that it had a, a very long face that was smooth like a bone. She said it was shiny and almost looked like plastic but it had really deep recessed eyes. And she said the strangest thing is that its eyes looked exactly like a human's eye. 
and that it had very kind eyes, she said. But she said that um, she started trying to walk backwards to the back door of the house and that the animal or creature suddenly went flat like a bottom sheet, which I don't quite understand what that is, but I guess it would be like a sheet you would put on your bed. But she said it went flat to the ground and then its head turned all the way around and looked up at her. And uh, she eventually made it back in the house and composed herself. And she said later that night, her baby woke up crying and that um, she got a strange feeling again. And when she went to the front of the house, this was probably about one or two in the morning. She said it was after midnight. And she said the front of her house, there was a light shining in. And she went and looked out the window and um, said that she could see everything like daylight. Said the sky was blue, um, that it, it just looked like a perfect, beautiful daylight scene. And she said that it was uh, terribly off-putting and, and um, just scared her. Well, when she went back to her room, which was in the back of the house, she said she looked out the back window and that it was a normal nighttime scene. So uh, take of that what you will, but I believe the lady kind of wanted to get it off her chest because she knew that she was close to death and that she, I guess she wanted to try to make sense of this. And she said that she never had really discussed it with anybody before, but she shared the story with me a, a few times and I tried to get more details and get her to elaborate on it. And she also told the exact same story to other staff members of the hospice that I work with. But that that's my story, and um, I love your show, man, and, and thanks for thanks for putting it together and bringing it to us every week, man. Thanks, Stephen. It almost sounds like a creature of Japanese folklore, with the long hair and bone-smooth appearance. It all seems to jive with those legends that I admittedly know very little about. Now, the fact that the creature's eyes appeared human gives me pause. A fact like that makes me think that someone possibly could be in a costume. But just like most other times, just when I think I have it all figured out, a new detail has to come in and throw a wrinkle in the entire thing. In this particular instance, it's the strange daytime scene out of one window and the bizarre nighttime scene out of another. A trick like that would be extremely difficult to pull off today and downright impossible 70 years ago. So that leaves me scratching my head. Was it a prank, a Wendigo, or perhaps something from another dimension? Thank you, Stephen, for not only listening to her story, but for sharing it with us as well. I wonder how many of these amazing experiences we've lost to dead lips. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Pon Abbott, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that's spine-tingling music. That's Coac. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
over here. Hi there. So tonight's bonus episode is brought to us by Roxy over in the UK. My name is Roxy and I am from the UK. In February of last year, 2018, we went on a family trip to France. We stayed in a chalet which had a balcony which the gondola ski cubicles passed over fairly closely, enough to see who was sitting in them. One morning I stayed at the chalet with my daughter and my son who were 12 and 5 at the time, whilst my husband, father-in-law and his sisters went out to ski. My husband called to tell me and the kids to come to the balcony as he would be passing over so we could wave. So we stepped out and after a few minutes he passed and we waved. We stayed out on the balcony and after about two minutes or so we heard a banging coming from above the gondola. It was Grandad, my father-in-law, wearing his distinctive silly hat with ears in his red jacket. He was waving to us, and we waved back, thinking nothing of it as he had obviously followed my husband down. When my husband arrived back to the chalet a short while after, we expected to see Grandad too. Only, Grandad didn't arrive. My husband said he had left Grandad with the rest of the family on top of the slopes, and he didn't come down with them. We obviously thought maybe he had come down and gone back up, but later that day when Grandad returned, along with everyone else, we mentioned it to him and he swears he didn't come down the gondola, and he said he stayed with the rest of the group on top of the slopes. We were all pretty freaked out. It wasn't a man that looked like Grandad, it was Grandad. We were close enough to be able to see his face and everything. Grandad had a small build and wore a red jacket and a silly hat with ears. It was 100% him. After that, it became an ongoing joke about Grandad's doppelganger. Me and my daughter were pretty freaked out about the whole experience, as was Grandad. I have a few more experiences I will share in time. I love listening to the show. It keeps me busy whilst working throughout the day. Keep up the good work. Roxy. Well, thank you, Roxy. Seems like Grandad just might have himself a doppelganger. I actually chose this story because I saw a comment, I believe, on YouTube where somebody was excited that doppelganger calls were included in the show. So when I found this one, I knew I had to share it right away. So thank you, Roxy, for sharing your story. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.